Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Eric. Hello. I am currently watching my cat walk precariously on a table behind some pictures. Uh, so I literally knows. was just having a conversation with someone where I said the creative ways cats find <laughs> to fuck up your entire life mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and your yeah. home is really inspiring. Like I will catch Desi and Penny destroying something in such a weird way that I would be like, how did you even think to do this? Right. Yeah. Corona's funny cause she hates me. So, sure. uh, you know, that's, that's fun to deal with. Like, the other day we were trying to like, cause she's still getting acclimated to the new place and stuff. So I walked over and I, this is how like completely toxic our relationship is. I tried to give her treats wow. and she hissed at me. She fucking hates you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I walked over and I tried to give her a treat and she, That's she bad. hissed at me. Yeah. She, how many she hissed years me. has it been? <laughs> a lot. Uh, like, I don't know, like five or six. Yeah, I feel like maybe you're a 10 year type friend mm, where once maybe. you guys hit a decade, she'll be like, right. all right, I guess you're right. not going anywhere. So I should get <laughs> used to this. Yeah, I think so. I think you got to you got to put in the work. You got to build that lifelong bond uh, over For time. Someone to hate you slightly less. <laughs> mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. really the goal. I, I would just like it if she didn't run as soon as I walked in a room. Yeah, she has a thing with tall men, right? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. She, I think it's just pretty much everyone that's not faith. Sure. I think. <laughs> she's a one person type of cat where mm-hmm. she's like, I got my person. I'm mm-hmm. not interested in expanding my social circle. Y'all right. can fuck off. She, she's been doing this new thing now where, because now we're in a place where we don't just live in one room. Um, so now She's so this is how codependent her relationship with Faith is. She when when Faith goes to sleep at night because I stay up all night, I'm in the living room, usually working, lights are on, you know, having like normal life going on in the living room. Faith is asleep with the door closed. The cat goes and sleeps outside of the bedroom. Yeah, I will say the dark hallway. A closed door is a personal affront Mm, to a cat. Like oh yeah. My cats would be fine in the living room overnight, but it is the fact that I am in a separate room with the door closed <laughs> and they were like, this cannot stand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the the first couple nights she would just sit outside the room and just howl all night. Uh, yeah. That's, just- that's Desi. De- I get really worried that my neighbors can hear Desi when he really gets going and he's like <laughs> mm-hmm. yowling. I'm like, God, I really hope. Because he's a tuxedo cat and tuck, and he's also like a big. He's a big boy. He's a. He's very zoftic. He's hefty. Right. Yeah. So he can get a lot of volume out of his little body. Right. He's like he's like one of the three tenors. He can exactly. really just like really belt it out. There. He is Pavarotti. I know everybody's oh. wondering which one. Yeah. He is Pavarotti. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I am very self conscious, and I've had people be like, "There's no way that they can hear it." Blah blah blah. blah. You're fine. I don't know, because when he is at his loudest, I'm like, this is awful. I will have my headphones on fully blasting music and I can hear him. Yeah, that happened to me the other day. I was working and I had my headphones. I have like like good 
like high end Bose noise canceling mm-hmm. yes. headphones. Yeah. And and I could hear meowing. I was like, what yes. the hell is going on? It just cuts through everything. It's insane. So yeah. Before we go any further, I wanted to thank some of my supporters. I wanted to thank Will, who just signed up at my Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. It's just my name. It's a very easy URL to remember. But there are new bonus episodes up over there of myself and Mr. Charles Rockhill, a very funny, talented podcast host, uh, sort of running down our top our favorite internet conspiracy theories. And we've done four parts of those. <laughs> uh, so far, we're probably going to do more parts, you guys, because you seem to like it a lot. So I, go ahead. Can I just say, I I consider myself somebody who is who's terminally online and very, very well-versed in online conspiracy theories. And when you said four parts, I was like, I didn't even know there were that many conspiracy theories. Oh, I'm telling you, dude, I have been consistently surprised and amazed every episode we've recorded. And I have to say, at least right now, and I will admit I'm very self-deprecating and self-hating, so this might just be in my own head. I think Charles is beating me so much in terms of the quality of internet conspiracy theories he's finding. I mm-hmm. love the ones that Charles has been finding because they're all celebrity based oh, yeah. and so funny and so weird. And uh, yeah, I really like the ones Charles has been finding. I also wanted to thank Brittany for upgrading her support. I believe over at my Patreon. I think it was over at my Patreon. So thank you, Brittany. Nice. That is an option that I don't really remind people of. You can always upgrade your support, even if you're currently a supporter. Sure. If you if you find yourself flush one month and you're like, yeah, I could kick Allison five more dollars than I usually do. Y'all can mm-hmm. upgrade. That'd be very nice. Also, I wanted to promote a piece that a friend of mine has written over at, I believe this was the Daily Beast. Um, I had mentioned her before on the show, I think at the beginning of the whole COVID insanity. Um, But a very good friend of mine, Laura Lyons, uh, contracted COVID and she was on a ventilator for 99 days. It was very, very scary. Um, We truly didn't know if she was gonna survive for many months. It was really, really scary. Thankfully, she's out of the hospital now. She was the longest, um, the patient who was on a ventilator the longest at uh, the hospital she was at, which was really amazing. Um, But she wrote a very funny piece over at the Daily Beast called Nine Kind of Hilarious Lessons for My 99 Days on a COVID Ventilator. Um, But yeah, I'll link to that. Please do go check it out. Read it. Uh, Laura's also on Twitter. You can follow her. Um, but yeah, she she's such a wonderful person. She's really approached everything with, as she approaches everything, with just a great sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. She's such a warm, loving person. But also, like, in the piece, she's like, wear a fucking mask. Because truly, like, she is maybe, obviously, not the worst case scenario of someone who gets COVID. Because, thankfully, she survived. But she's one of the worst case scenarios. And, um... Mm-hmm. It's just a reminder that this thing is really, really serious. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I When I had my surgery, I was in bed for three days in that I wanted to, like, I, I, like, never wanted to lay down again 
after like I like yeah. when I left the hospital, I couldn't imagine sitting down again for at least like a week. Like I, I just, just like you think you hear like laying in bed for three days and you think like, oh, that must be nice. It's not. It's not nice. <laughs> um, no, no. And like, obviously, I don't want to speak for Laura and she does a great job in her piece, uh, you know, detailing what happened to her body, which she's like still still dealing with. But like yeah. she survived it, but she's gonna live with the the health consequences of being on a ventilator for 99 days for a very long time like she has a very long road to recovery ahead of her and she knows that um but like she she had to give up her new york apartment she moved back in with her parents she needs full-time care you know like she has very serious physical therapy ahead of her like her body is ravaged from this Mm -hmm. thing and she was a healthy like, you know, my age, a healthy young woman. Um, and this thing just completely steamrolled her. Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, scary. Yeah. Very scary. The piece is great. Uh, it's been getting a lot of like nice press too, which is cool to see. Yeah. She like, you know, big celebrities have contact like Amy Schumer sent her a video, you know, wishing her a speedy recovery. Like, uh, she went viral and she was, she's so funny. She's like, I wish I had gone viral for like my comedy <laughs> you know, like it's that I right. contracted COVID. Um, but yeah, like she and I, we used to be on a sketch team together. We had just done our February Valentine's day show, all hell broke loose in the city. After that, she went home to be with her parents. Cause it was a very scary time. And you know, she, she got it while she was there and truly like overnight was in the ICU. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's scary you guys. And I think it's easy to forget that it's so scary because now we've been living with it for like eight months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people are slipping with like how often they wear a mask, the group of friends they hang out with. Like it's very easy to fall back into that normalcy. And I think it's really important to get reminders from people like Laura, like, no, actually, this is very serious and we need to keep treating it very seriously. Well, I think you and I talked about this a lot at the beginning of of, of the lockdown, where it's like it's it, this like current crisis is sort of way different than any other pandemic or any other thing we've ever really gone through because because of the measures to slow it down and, and, you know, like staying home and, and not having, you know, big events and not having restaurants to go to and things like that. We're all very sort of removed from the immediate effects of it. Um, so a lot of the information we have, like, I, I mean, it's just like, you, you know, it's, it's a very strange thing to read that there are, I don't know what the exact number is now, but it's like 220,000 dead or something like that. Yeah. That, that's a very strange thing to read because you're not out about every day seeing the effects of it. Right. Yeah. It's, so, it's also one of those numbers. It's hard to comprehend. Right. Because it's, it's not like there was a, a nine 11 type event, you know, right. where everybody saw the towers fall down and it was like, Oh my God, there's people in there. It's happening all over the country. Um, We're not in the hospitals, most of us, unless we're first responders or doctors or nurses. You know, a lot of us are shielded from it unless you lived in New York City and you saw like the the trucks full of bodies, you know. Um, Or there was like like in April. I mean, it was just like I mean, I think we talked about this on the show, but it was like there was like a period of time where it was like it was nonstop sirens outside. 
It was sirens. It was also a friend of mine reminded me of this yesterday. Um, people fleeing the neighborhood. So you mm, would go yeah. for a walk around the neighborhood and people were like loading up cars and leaving forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was very scary. Um, I, at the time lived in a neighborhood with several nursing homes and there were just mm-hmm. ambulances constantly out right. front lights right. on, like you, you knew people were dying. Um, but you know, since then it's, it's become easier to like, when you hear like 220,000 people, it's just like, you start, you just keep seeing the number go up and it's Mm -hmm. very easy for it to become this abstract thing. And it's important that we remember like, those are people, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. And it's two, that's two, I mean, you know, that's 220,000. I mean, you can assume maybe a portion of those might have died from other circumstances of this year, you know, because a lot of them were elderly. But still, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of deaths over what would be a normal year, you know? So it's not like, you know what I mean? So it's like, like I said, it's just like such a strange thing to just your only interaction with that number is reading it, you know? And it's, it's a very strange thing because it does become sort of this amorphous, like, Oh yeah, 220,000 people are dead. Like that's a lot of people. That's a, that's a fuck ton of people. Yeah. And like, again, I I think Laura would be okay with me talking about this, but she has such an interesting perspective, right? Because she was in a coma And then she woke up and was like, what happened? And they had to literally be like, there's a pandemic and you just lost eight months. So like Laura will be like, you know, she'll text you and be like, what's Tiger King? You know, like questions like that, (laughs) which is very funny, like trying to catch up her (laughs) on Tiger King and her even caring about Tiger King is very funny (laughs) to me. But like she had an interesting perspective because she was very close to the team of nurses who did an incredible job taking care of her. Um, like I would just be in tears getting updates from people about like what these women were doing for Laura. Like they would braid her hair and make her jewelry. So like Mm -hmm. she looked very pretty, you know, like they really, really are tremendously caring people. Obviously that's why they want to be nurses. But like when you hear stories, it's like, Oh God, you're saints, you know, you're actual saints. Um, but she, she was hearing stories from them where like at the height of this thing, And they, especially in New York City, they didn't really understand COVID. That's why we had so many more deaths than any other state, Mm because this was sort of like um, the grand COVID experiment. Like this is, you know, they figured out like, oh, if we flip people onto their stomachs, they have a better chance of surviving, like stuff like that. They were like figuring out in New York in real time, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were saying like people would come in with full blown COVID. They would sit them down in a chair go to get them an IV bag or something, come back and they would be dead. Right. Um, and that was how it started. And like the fact that most of us were shielded from that reality and most of us will like never know how bad it actually was. Mm-hmm. But like, I think about that all the time. Like all of these doctors and nurses are going to be dealing with so much trauma in their own personal lives, having to right. have dealt with that, you know? There is a really interesting documentary on netflix called linux hill and it's about the linux hill hospital in new york and it's not the show itself was not about covid it was actually filmed pre-covid um and it was about the creation of the of the brain surgery unit at linux hill hospital um but after they were done filming basically before the show had come out is when covid hit and so they actually stuck around the filmmakers and they actually filmed an extra bonus episode of the show at the hospital 
in the middle of the COVID crisis. Oh my and God. so you get to see, and they have access to all these doctors and nurses who are sort of just like very candidly, like, you know, it's very respectful. They're not showing people like dying or anything like that, but they're, they're showing like the amount of work and the amount of like emotional stress that all these doctors and nurses are going through dealing with this, you know, in real time. And I think it's very, uh, I think it's worth a watch if, if people are interested in watching that type of thing. Cause I think that's a private perspective. A lot of people don't get to see is, you know, how like all these frontline workers are dealing with that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Um, so I wanted to read this recommendation from Christina, Over at my Patreon, just a reminder, everyone, not only will we answer any questions that you have on the show if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, but also we love getting recommendations from you and also good news, like good news that's happening in your own life. I love hearing Mm -hmm. about that shit. Make sure to, uh, I I just always like to tell people to make sure to send lots of questions about pens because Allison hates it. Uh, yeah, if you have any questions about pens specifically for Eric, you can send those to, but I will roast you just so you know. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. So if you're very earnest about your pen questions, you might want to reach out directly to Eric <laughs> to circumvent my suck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Christina says, hello, lovely Allison. Oh my God, Christina, stop. You're lovely. I have a recommendation. I really have complicated feelings over the social dilemma on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary on big tech and its ability to break down democracy as we know it. I have many thoughts on it, but I'm interested in hearing yours. So, Christina, first of all, I want to know what your thoughts are. Um, If you want to write in or write back in and say uh, what they are. I know you said that they're complicated, but my feelings are complicated about it as well because I just watched it. Same. Uh, Eric, I'm fascinated to hear what your take is. But um, mm-hmm. I guess in short, I found all of the testimonials and the tech stuff very interesting. I thought it was fascinating that Google search uh, tailors your results based on your geographical location. So mm-hmm. for example, here in New York City, if I if I Googled climate change is, the results would say real, an existential threat, et cetera, et cetera. But say if I lived in a red state, it would say like climate change is a hoax, climate change is a liberal conspiracy, blah, 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 blah. I thought that was fascinating and really revealing about why we are becoming or we are such a polarized country. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting and like mildly terrifying that no one at Google fully understands the algorithm uh, mm-hmm. that makes Google Google because it's so big and sophisticated and evolving in real time at this point that no single person could actually like map out the equation of what the Google algorithm is. That feels like we have already approached or we are in the singularity. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that felt very dystopian to me. Um, But yeah, I have complicated feelings about it. I, I know they tried to address the more positive aspects of the internet as well. And it tries to end on a more optimistic note about maybe um, a, an earlier vis- version of the internet that we could return to one day. But, um, you know, like I, there are a lot of positives to the internet as well. 
And sure. I'm not one of these people who's like uh, like a full LaRouchian where it's like, well, we just need to abolish the Internet and all of our problems will be fixed. <laughs> I'm a little like, really? Because that feels like it feels too simple to say it's the Internet's fault, you know? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I my view is sort of that I think there is it's it's it is way more of a complicated subject than I think people give it credit for. Because I think part of what they talk about in the documentary, and I think something that has some validity to it, is that we, our brains are not adapted to dealing with this technology. Yes. It's just not. I mean, you know, we're, I mean, people, I mean, people can live healthy lives and use social media, obviously, but it's just on a, like, you know, we, you're, our brains have developed over thousands of years to, to, you know, you know, uh, deal with certain types of communication, certain types of threat responses to immediate surroundings and things like that. And we're, our technology is moving at a pace faster than we can adjust to it. So I do think there's some validity to that. Now, the point is like, we're not getting rid of the internet. It's not going away. Right. So, I mean, that the whole idea of like saying like the internet is the problem or social media is the problem. It's like, it's just not going away. I mean, these are really simple. I mean, a social media platform is a very simple idea. Now the execution of them can be different, but at the, at what we're talking about at base is just different types of communication. And now that the internet's been invented, it's just not going away. So we're always going to be from now on, we're always going to be communicating digitally. So the, the real thing has to be, how do we cope with it and how do we deal with it in a healthy way? And so I do think it is, I, I didn't find too much in the documentary that I felt was particularly new or interesting. What I, it did get out to a, a broader audience. So I think that's good. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I think it, the approach to it has just got to be like, you know, we need to prompt people to, to deal with online in a healthier way, but we also have to figure out a way to like make the, the modes of communication better, like, and, and fix these platforms. But I think the, the, the issue at hand is so much more complicated and nuanced than even like people in the documentary are making it, you know? Yeah. I had a little bit of an issue too, with like the internet is so balkanized that Republicans just talk to Republicans and liberals just talk to liberals because it's a little like, yeah, but the liberals are talking about like health care for everyone while the right is like all liberals are child fuckers who are eating children. And I'm like, are we really lending equal weight to these two territories? Because I think unless we really focus on like fascists are destroying the Internet, I don't think we're really getting to like the heart of why this is so evil. Well, in my problem with that type of argument too is like i i mean look i grew up in the south that's always been the case even before the internet like it's like we're always going to be like people hang around with people that they are similar to i mean that is a thing that happens you know and it's usually geographic it used to be geographic now the thing is with the internet you just have access to more people right. so you're going to find even more niche pockets of people you know like you know i mean that's it's a well-known thing it's just like no matter what you're into, you will find people. There's 8 billion people on the planet and a, a big, big portion of them are on the internet. And so no matter what you're into, you will find someone else out there that believes like you do. And so, you know, you can just search out people that are like you and, and like the same things that you do. And you don't ever have to like 
interact with anybody else. I mean, that is sort of like, you know, that's a, it's like I was saying earlier, that's, that's just not going away. That's the point. You know, like you can say all you want, like, Oh, you should talk to more people and, and, you know, you should try to get diverse views or whatever, but it's like, that's like, what do you, you can't force people to talk to each other. Like, yeah. Know. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, the most effective part of the documentary, I think, is the argument they're making about how this is bad for your brain. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, seeing the statistics of like young girls who have developed eating disorders right. perfectly coincide with the rise of Instagram is really yes. like. And I think one of the most powerful moments of the documentary is you have all of these leading experts and engineers in the tech industry saying, I don't let my kids use social media. Yeah. And it's like, they built social media. So if the people who built social media are telling mm -hmm. you this is bad for children's brains, if I was a parent, I would immediately get my kids off of social media immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's to me, it's all about like, yeah, it's just about like the, the volume and the velocity of interactions you can have. Your brain is just not capable of dealing with that amount of information and that amount of communication. Especially, we just have it. especially when you're a child. Cause I know right. you and I have talked about this before in the show, like how we're so grateful that like social media didn't oh, really exist when we were kids. Um, right. like it wasn't until I was in high school that like, um, no, we still, AOL was a thing, but like Facebook wasn't a thing. MySpace wasn't a thing when I was, you know, still a kid. Right. Um, thank God. I'm like so grateful that when my brain was developing, we didn't have that level of exposure yet. Right. And, and there's a real, like the, I, I think, you know, uh, in addition to the idea of just like this, this, the sheer volume of people you can talk to and, and negative interactions you could have in any one given day that I, I think they talk about some documentary. I've also heard other people talk about it, but it's also like the idea of like, I, I look, I don't want to downplay obviously anybody's like bullying that happened to them in school. Cause I mean, a lot of people go through it and it's always been bad forever, but it's like, you know, before the internet, obviously people there were horrendous there was horrendous bullying before the internet but you could get a reprieve from it if like you went home you know right. um and because you didn't have to be around those people anymore now you obviously if you had like a good home environment <laughs> exactly yeah if you had a good yeah, like yeah. you had like a, if you had a group maybe a group of friends that you could rely yeah. on or a good home environment or and i mean like people i mean obviously it's like Obviously, you know, it's always traumatic, but, you know, you could if if there were way if there if you were able to find a way to cope with it, you could do it by just removing yourself from the school. Right. But now it's like kids are getting bullied and they're going home and it's happening Oof. online after school, too. And yeah, so that's another aspect of the social dilemma that I don't know if I liked. There's these like this weird sort of like reenactment of stuff they're talking about where they have very good actors. Like one of the actors I think is from shameless. I've not, um, yeah, I noticed, I recognized a few of those actors. Yeah. Like they got like high, there's a guy from mad men who's in it. Uh, really, really good actors sort of acting out concepts that they're talking. And I don't know if it works. It's right. still like it's done at, in an elevated way. And I still don't know if it works, but it yeah, felt very there, strange to me. It felt very weird. I was like, did you want to make a movie or a documentary? But anyway, <laughs> so that one of the characters, yeah, is his mom is like, let's see if you can go, uh, what was it like <laughs> right. a, a month or a week without I think your it was phone? a week. 
I think it was a, just week, a week. Yeah. A week without your phone. And he gets like roped back in um, because the algorithm figures out what type of push alert they need to send him in order for him to engage with his phone again. But yeah, like that level of, of invasiveness, even when you're at home, you're with your family. I'm now so hyper aware of my phone because of watching The Social Dilemma, which I guess is good and proves it's effective. But I've turned off yeah. a bunch of my notifications because I suddenly realized like, oh, my God, my phone reminds me that it is my phone and I should be engaging with it like a hundred times a day. Yeah. It's yeah, wild. I, and, and one of the things I wish they had, I mean, I think they sort of go into it, but I wish they had gone into it harder, which is that. This isn't like some weird nefarious plot by a bunch of geeks in Silicon Valley. It's basic capitalist economics. These are businesses. Well, like, I also thought it was in, sorry. I also thought it was interesting to hear from one of the Facebook engineers who was like, "The whole reason we have a thumbs up reaction and not a thumbs down reaction is we wanted it to be a positive interaction." Yeah. And like hearing that, I was like, "Oh yeah, there are just like." There are people like that who work at Facebook who are just like, maybe this could be good, you guys. But ultimately, it's like, no, it's an evil company. And Mark Zuckerberg is the greatest monster of our time. Facebook is responsible for genocide in some countries, you know, <laughs> well, like it is a profoundly evil company. But within that company, you have people who are like, guys, let's just have a thumbs up and not a thumbs down, you know. Well, they don't under, I mean, they, this is also new that we don't really understand. I mean, a lot of these innovations, we don't know what's going to happen with them. Right. So it's just like, it becomes a concept and you're like, yeah, like this seems like in theory it should work. And then they implement it and then it has all these dramatic effects of, you know, yeah. Like it seems like a good idea to be like, Oh, like, let's just keep it light and positive and only have positive interactions. But then like that starts creating all these feedback loops for people, right, exactly. positive interactions. Um, and yeah, like it's not, you know, the reason that they you get all these push notifications on your phone to get you to click on it is because like all these companies are businesses that need ad revenue. <laughs> and so right. I mean, like they need you to be on the app. And so it's not like it's they're not trying to. I, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of evil people in the world. I don't it doesn't seem that these companies are like specifically trying to get young people to kill themselves or, you know, foment all this like, uh, you know, rage or, or violence or whatever. but it's the effect of it because all they're concerned about is like, we just need to get people on the app because that's our business. Right. And ultimately it's always about growth and advertising and that's the bottom line. They don't care about you, <laughs> you know? No, no, of course that's not. That's the thing. Like you, you are the product because they have to sell you things. So, um, that I will guys, say that is, Oh, before, yeah, this is like a, uh, just a few seconds, but like the, of all the like reenactments or like little like like little scenes that they did in the film, the one thing that I thought was was funny was they showed like the quote unquote internal working of the algorithm, like as displayed by like three oof, guys. Oof. Just that, like that's the actor from Mad Men. Yeah, 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 and he's just like, and it it, it it's funny because it's so weird, but it's also like yeah, this this is all an algorithm is doing is like, what do we have to do to right. get you to click this? Like that is all that we care about. Engage, engage, engage. Yeah. Um, So I know that sounded like I was about to transition into bad news, but I was just going to say that we're going to have a little longer of a pop culture section because I got to talk about the trial of the Chicago seven on Netflix. I I haven't watched it yet. I think we might watch it tonight, but I, uh, I want to hear about it. 
Okay. All right. So let me just say up top, if you are a fan of Aaron Sorkin, God bless. Go with God. I didn't know um, boomers listen to this podcast, but apparently they do. I hope he's your little comfort blanket and you love it so much and you watch it and you feel like such a good white liberal while you do it. Good on you. Good on you. Um, oof. Oof is my <laughs> review. Um, he should never, never. This is what I would say if I sat Aaron Sorkin down and he's like, how did you get into my home? And I'm like, sit down. This is what I would say. <laughs> Never direct your own shit ever again. I feel like I was watching a fucking Lifetime movie. Yeah. It was so flat and boring to look at. How did you make riot scenes boring? <laughs> How did you even do that? I didn't know that was possible. He should never, ever, ever direct his own shit because I feel like when he partners with a edgier director, yeah. say a David Fincher, sure. um, who directed, I think, arguably his best film, The Social Network, speaking of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, mm -hmm. when he's paired or like a Danny Boyle type, when he's paired with an edgier director, some of his inherent schmaltz gets turned down and you need that because, oh my God, is he schmaltzy. And well, when you see him direct his own shit, it is like turned up to a hundred well, and I think of, of all the stuff that he's written, I think probably the one, the only things that are enjoyable are anything that he has to do that does not have anything to do with politics because he is so insufferable. It's so insufferable. And he's, he's just patting himself on his fucking back. Like, I heard I, someone I, today be like, oh, I like Aaron Sorkin because he just respects smart people. And I'm like, oh, no, God. he respects himself. Yes, he is he, thinks he's the hero that we've been waiting for um but so the trial of chicago seven let me say this he has just assembled a fucking bananas cast like mm -hmm. it is they are yeah. clearly just gonna clear up or uh, clean up the oscars they clearly i think are you know gonna win a bunch of acting awards i do have to shout out sasha baron cohen uh, playing Abby Hoffman. He does a fucking great job because I nice. think that could have been really cartoony. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that accent and just like the look of him and it's a really nice nuanced performance. And I was very impressed because he is in an all-star cast. I mean, fucking Jeremy Strong, Eddie Redmayne, Mark Rylance, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, holy, every person who shows up, fucking Michael Keaton, every single person who shows up is like, knock your socks off. Wow, I can't believe this person is in this cast, too. Right, right. Um, you probably noticed I listed all men. Yeah, honey, I did. There is no <laughs> well-developed woman in this movie. Did you know that women didn't exist until 1995? And well, that's the, look, that's not Aaron Sorkin's fault. That's not Aaron Sorkin's fault <laughs> no, that I'm not no women... That's just a fact. There were yeah. no women in the Black Panther. There were no women in uh, the the social revolution of the 60s. We did not exist until the mid-90s. And that's just a fact. It's not Aaron yeah. Sorkin's fault. Not his fault. Um, yeah, he has these female archetypes in this movie that are just like, woman who almost gets raped. Bitchy mm -hmm. hippie secretary. Silent right. wife. You know, like, if you're looking for any kind of well-developed female character in any of um, Aaron Sorkin's 
um, more recent work, you will not find them. They don't exist. Um, women are there for men to bounce quippy uh, comments off of. Yeah. I will say it's, it's, it's whatever it, it is mercifully not super long. Um, there's some good acting moments. I do think why Aaron Sorkin is so particularly evil is fully on display. There's so much back padding of liberals of, of himself, of um, pragmatism will win the day when really we need social revolution. The fact that he thinks Fred Hampton and Bobby Seale, the two most interesting people in this fucking movie, are supporting characters is borderline offensive, right. if not outright offensive. To me, the most interesting part of the film, maybe this is a spoiler, I don't know, it's an actual historical event, so like, read a book if I'm going to offend you. <laughs> um, but there's a horrible moment in this trial where Bobby Seale keeps rightfully pointing out that he does not have representation. He doesn't have a lawyer in the courtroom. That's mm -hmm. a, a violation of his rights. Right. And this very racist judge who was appointed by Nixon finally gets tired of him. And they straight up remove him from the courtroom to go torture him. They, they beat the shit out of Bobby Seale and they drag him back into the courtroom and they gag him. And he is sitting, beaten, gagged in an American courtroom. And it is a fucking horrible moment. And I think Aaron Sorkin fully gets that it's a horrible moment. But I thought in that moment he was finally going to grapple with like there's this really surreal moment where they're just all sitting in the courtroom. And they fully know that Bobby Seale is getting tortured in another room and no one does anything. And I was like, ooh, here we go. Okay, we're going to get into how like white liberals stand by while black radicals are tortured by the state. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. And he fully just takes the moment and he uses it to show like what a hero these white activists are <laughs> and how principled they are and never grapples with the larger questions at play. That's why Aaron Sorkin is fucking evil. That's why he's bad. That's why he's bad for American politics. He is purely candy for white boomers. Well, he's the perfect. I mean, the reason that he's so popular is that he's it, it's funny. Like, you know, if you ever stop and think, like, why is this dude keep getting so much work? And why is he so like a, such a big figure in Hollywood? And literally everyone that watches his stuff hates it. Like I like they're like. But it's he's a, he writes for Hollywood like he's not writing for the audience. He's writing for, you know, these, you know, and, and this is an especially good example of it. It's like a lot of these people in Hollywood were like around in the 60s and exactly. did and did nothing. And, you know, or what, you know, washed out of the movement or whatever or, or did do something. But then, you know, they became complacent. They became part of the system. And, yeah. you know. Well, and some people in that group of, of, of the, you know, the, the you know, the, those people in the 60s are largely the people that became, you know, rich and boomers. Like, yeah, those they, are, they benefited you know I mean? from like, the system. And all of a sudden, yeah. weirdly, uh, changing the system was no longer a priority. That's what happens right. when you benefit yeah. from the system. Um, there's a very strange moment at the end where, you know, he, he ends it with like pure Aaron Sorkin schmaltz. There's an actual standing ovation at the end oh of this movie. <laughs> and he like, there's a swelling of like the music is shit in this, in this movie. You'll see when you watch it, but like 
he does a little recap at the end and over the swelling music you see you know abby hoffman died by suicide yeah and it's like right because abby hoffman was fucking disillusioned and crushed by the system yeah and him trying to put a bow on it even at the end where it's like you are undermining your own point. Abby Hoffman was destroyed <laughs> by the system that you're like, listen, guys, if we're just pragmatic enough, if enough white dudes talk over each other and are funny enough and quippy enough and loud enough, the right. best point will win out at the end of the day. Reason will win. And it's like Abby Hoffman was fucking crushed by the system and, yeah. and died by suicide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I want to see it just because I'm like, I remember when the trailer came out and somebody posted it because I didn't know they were making it. And somebody posted it like, you're never going to believe the end of this trailer. And the whole trailer goes. And then like the last frame is just like written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. And I was like, what the it. fuck are you God talking God damn it. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, that's a that's an, an anti-wreck from me with like mm -hmm. a lukewarm wreck for the actors involved. Yeah. They're doing the best they can. He got the right actors who can handle the dialogue. Um, but yeah, Eric, I would be fascinated to know what you think of it. Yeah, I want to see it. I, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, it's just like, it's, he's just the, like I said, he's the perfect writer for Hollywood. That is exactly what they want. Like yes, that is, uh, and that's why they'll win Oscar. Yeah. Like the green oh, yeah. book, the green book crowd will mm -hmm. eat this up with a oh, yeah. fucking spoon because like the most obvious critique of this movie is, oh my God, can you believe it was the sixties and we're dealing with the same thing right now? My God, mm -hmm. how timely is this movie? And it's like, that is the most surface level, obvious way to look at this movie. Another way to look at it is nothing has fucking changed because we keep embracing Aaron Sorkin's view of politics. No one at the Academy, the older members of the Academy, no one will look at it from that angle. No, and and all those people want to believe in this this Sorkin vision of like, look, if we just make the best movie we can and we deliver enough speeches, things will change. <laughs> like that is that, that's, that, that's their Aaron whole thing. Sorkin fully believes that he could just talk us into a better tomorrow if we just let him talk long enough. Everything will just magically fix itself, you guys, because we have a reasonable white man here. And he's so smart. Have you heard him? He's so smart. <laughs> he really, truly believes that yeah. that will change the world. And it's like, no, actually, and it's two characters who you thought were, were supporting characters in this fucking right. ridiculous movie, Fred Hampton and Bobby Seale, who are the ones who were actually the radicals, who actually understood the existential threat at play, and you made them bit characters in this movie, you fucking idiot. Not that I would want to see Aaron Sorkin tell the Black Panther story, God forbid, but they are so clearly the story that it's like maddening to watch it. Um, I mean, Yaya is a phenomenal actor and he is incredible as Bobby Seale. And if he won an Oscar, I would not be mad about it. Yeah. Um, Cause he's amazing. If you haven't seen Watchmen, go check it out. He's incredible in that too. Um, but I just wish he had more, you know, yeah. cause like, Oh, and the, the relationship between Bobby Seale and Fred Hampton's fascinating. Uh, I, I want to see that movie and I want to see it in the hands of a more capable uh, person who like understands 2020 politics. Right. Anyways, guys. Wow. I talked a lot in that section. We got to yep. get into uh, the bad news. Uh, I'm so sorry. Here's your bad news. 
All right, we got to talk about these stupid dueling town halls that went down. Um, if anybody God. cares, it seems what like Joe Biden that. won the ratings war, you guys. He won. We did it. Um, yeah, he was on ABC and Trump was on NBC, which means he was on uh, MSNBC and CNBC. Um, yeah, and it was fully... Uh, Trump was fully unhinged, as you would expect. You know, he was making all sorts of untrue claims about when we're going to have a vaccine, about the pandemic. I will say I'm glad Savannah Guthrie was the moderator. I didn't watch the debate, but from mm -hmm. what I've heard, she, she did a much, much better job than Chris Wallace in terms of keeping him uh, on track and actually forcing him to answer some of her questions. So, and also whatever NBC is paying Savannah Guthrie, they should pay her way more because NBC was taking a ton of heat uh, for broadcasting Trump's town hall simultaneously uh, along with Joe Biden's town hall. They were criticized for that very heavily. There was a boycott NBC campaign on Twitter. And mm -hmm. I think Savannah Guthrie took a lot of heat off of them because she was such a hard ass with him yeah. that it wasn't just like a propaganda event. And Trump wasn't able to just spout his bullshit without somebody being there saying like, at one point she actually said, you sound like a crazy uncle right now. <laughs> yeah. She right. like actually just called it out. She was like, you sound mm. unhinged right now. And I think like right. for a lot of people that was cathartic. So yeah, I think Savannah um, was able to save a little bit of NBC's reputation for that reason. Yeah. I, the whole, the whole thing, everything about what happened was truly in my mind, just insane. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's just, everything was great. Like, I, I was totally on board with them moving to a virtual debate, but once Trump dropped out of it and they're like, okay, instead of that, we're going to have Joe Biden do a town hall in person. It's like, okay, wait, hold on. <laughs> so Biden and Stephanopoulos can be on a stage together, but Biden and Trump cannot be on a stage together. I don't get it. Whatever. And then they, and then NBC decided to give Trump a town hall for no reason, for just for no reason, just because, because he threw a fit. Cause he threw a hissy fit and didn't do it. Right. Um, but I think to your point, Savannah got through as the one, I mean, it was the one good thing about the whole night, it, you know, um, because she, it's the first time I've seen somebody actually like ask a question and then take an answer from a presidential candidate and go, actually, no, like, like no. how hard is that? Just like <laughs> fucking fact check him. And yeah. it doesn't require any, like, I don't think like particularly deep intelligence. Like he's such a bad liar that he just says stuff that it's not like you need to be like a policy wonk to know about. Like if he says we're going to have a vaccine by election day, be like, well, actually no, all of these major drug companies just had to put their drug trials on hold. So actually it's impossible that we'll have a vaccine by election day. Right. That's not a hard thing to call out. So yeah, I think that's another reason it was like cathartic for people. Cause she was just like, no, that you're lie. It's an obvious lie. Well, and a lot of it doesn't even have to be straight fact checking. Like you don't even have to tell a person they're wrong so much as I, you know, just seeing somebody go, what do you mean? 
Right. Like, yeah. What the, like, could you what the hell did you that? mean by that? Because that was just a string of nonsense words you just yeah. said. Like, what? <laughs> like that is that to me was like the most because like, you know, obviously like every person, like any candidate is going to have their own spin on any issue. And so right. no matter no matter what it is, they're going to have their own spin on it. But just seeing somebody go, what the hell does that mean? Like when you wh- yeah. whatever you just said, what are you talking about? Just elaborate. Just keep talking about it because I don't know what you're talking about. And it just like you see like immediately Trump just get perturbed by somebody going, what are you talking about? You sound insane right now. Yeah. And like, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but I'll mention it again. Like other than that, it was usually like, you know, craziness from Trump, uh, incoherent, long winded answers from Biden, like stuff we've, you know, we're accustomed to hearing from both of them. Obviously Biden is more reasonable, blah, 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 blah. Um, but you know, like he gave a very bad answer when a black constituent was like, could you clarify that, uh, you ain't black comment you made about people who vote for Trump if they're black. Um, and Biden of course could not articulately explain anything because that's not what he does. Um, but, I'm really at this point more scared about who's going to come after Trump, because at this point, I feel like the Proud Boys are falling a little bit out of love with him because he hasn't done a good enough job saying he supports them. He he did early on, but now he's had to walk it back so far that you can almost like feel them cooling off a little bit where they're sort of like, does he really have our back? But now there's all of this fascist framework in place. You have all of these militias. They're raring to go. They have so many guns. Trump was always a inept fascist leader. Like he's a racist, obviously. So he had a little bit of, I mean, he had a lot of overlap with them, but he wasn't like a competent fascist leader. I'm now more concerned about who's going to come after Trump, because if they are even a little bit competent, because the Trump administration's a fucking joke, right? Like they're right. just a mess. Every time they go before the Supreme Court, they're ill-prepared. The Supreme Court's like, listen, if you even had your shit together a little bit, we would have <laughs> supported yeah. this policy, but you did such a bad job, we actually can't. Right. So, like, let's say there's, however this shakes out, right? Whether we have a Biden administration, whether we have a Trump administration, country gets worse and worse and worse. We slide further and further into fascism. The next fascist regime comes in. Man, there is already, we're going to have a very conservative Supreme Court. We have all of these militias. It's, it's primed. It's ready to go. The second the right finds somebody who has their shit together, it's, it's going to be very bad. Oh, I think it's going to be Dan Crenshaw. Interesting. Yeah. He's young. That's, I mean, like he's young and personable, like as much as I hate him, like he's like a young, like he gets people's attention. He's like a young, in a way that like Ted Cruz or Mike Lee don't do, you know what I mean? Like they're kind of like wet blankets, but (laughs) Crenshaw is actually like a, a young, like, uh, motivating, personal, personable guy that can. I knew you would have up. perspective on this because you watch right wing media, which I don't, yeah. obviously. So yeah, I don't know who like the new young hot thing is on his way not, up. He's not super hot right now, but I think it's a lot because of the election. Um, he was getting a lot. Of, he released a book, I think, like in the past year, and he was getting a lot of like heat. But I think with COVID and the election, like everybody's just focused on Trump. So obviously, okay. you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah, I think. What what is interesting to me about 
the Trump presidency, not even the presidency, the 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 election, the 2016 election, is that he tapped into a th- he tapped into something that tipped off the Republican Party because before that, as bad as all their presidents have been, they had to play the game and at least present some sort of you know, uh, they had the veneer of being like statesmen or whatever. And with Trump's win, I think now the RNC is very keen to the fact that it's like, we don't have to anymore. The way we rile up our base is by being brash, by being just, just going out there and playing to people's worst qualities. Um, that's how we rile up our base is that's how we win is by tapping into those like the militias, the proud boys, um, or, and just like your average everyday, you know, uh, xenophobic racist people, we win by, by playing to those fears, the heaviest. And so I think now if they lose now, it's going to be like, okay, how do we recreate that energy and then step it back 5% with like somebody who looks more stable. And I think that is somebody like a, Dan Crenshaw. Or yeah. Like that. And that will be very exciting because like, I think a lot of conservatives main problem with Trump is that he is offensive, abrasive mm-hmm. and incompetent. It's right. not that he's racist or xenophobic no. or, or a rapist or anything like that. They just don't want to have like their dinner party ruined, you know, like no. they want to have that sort of like, can we just have the same type of isms, but with manners, you know? Right. And that's what, to me, that's why I think like Crenshaw is like tapped for that because he has all those same views, but he doesn't like retweet QAnon people. Exactly. <laughs> it just needs to I mean? be like a little more veneer of respectability yeah. and they will follow it to the end of the road, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And so that's, that is, I think that is probably what they're going to tap into for the next race, whatever the outcome of this is. It's like, okay. We saw it worked when he got elected. We saw it didn't work because either he lost or just like they, I mean, just by polling alone, he's losing. He's got less support now than he did in 2016 in a bunch of states. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to lose, but it does mean like his numbers are dropping. And I think a lot of people are just kind of worn out and fed up They're with tired. It. They're tired of him. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I think a lot of the DC insiders are kind of fed up, even if they like his policies. It's just like the constant turmoil in the administration, the constant like, that like you know there's just constant turnover in all these positions because nobody wants to work there like his family basically just is in the entire white house like his administration (laughs) is basically his family you know what i mean i think a lot of the the republican dc insiders are probably like this fucking sucks but we like (laughs) we like that he riles up all these racists and we like all these policies and so for the next race it's going to be like i think it is going to be very much of like how do we do all these same things they love the policies. They are so they are so happy with all the policies. So how do we do all the correct, policies? Correct, correct. And that that's what's scary to me because I think a lot of liberals are like, man, we just got to get through this election. We'll be okay. And I don't think they understand we're just entering the true danger period. Uh, I didn't say danger zone. I didn't say danger zone. I know everybody was waiting for me to say that. Uh, but yeah, I I feel like it's such a precarious time because you're exactly right. They love part of the Trump policy is they just got to find a different vessel. And if they find a vessel who, you know, has that respectability veneer, Ooh, we're, we're really in trouble. 
And that is my, I, mean, I also say the flip side of that is my probably my biggest gripe with, with, with the Democratic Party and liberals, which is that they have the opposite view of that, which is that, well, if we just find a respectable enough person, like obviously people will vote for this not racist person over the racist person. And they won't. <laughs> like if it, nobody learned anything from 2016. They didn't learn a damn thing. So speaking of not learning anything, and then we'll we'll move into the good news section. Um, I just want to say uh, a real heartfelt, like really from the deep inner um, terrain of my heart, a real fuck you to Diane Feinstein. You God. fucking decrepit old bitch. <laughs> I hate this fucking woman. Uh, so... Amy Coney Barrett, obviously going to be our next Supreme Court justice um, for the the remainder of our lives, Eric. Um, Mm. She's very young, extremely conservative, um, has wet dreams about outlawing abortion. um, But she's a mom, you guys. She's a mom. And that's all we're going to fucking talk about for four days. Um, At the end of this fucking ridiculous thing where... Amy Coney Barrett, I don't think, answered one question, um, didn't take one single note. In fact, proudly hung up, uh, held up the fact uh, that she took no notes on her blank pad of paper. The, uh, just real quick in the middle yeah. of that, I just want to say that was the weirdest part of the, this whole proceeding to me. And I don't know if this is normal because I usually don't watch these. I, every time they asked her a question, it was like, well, I don't really want to get into like exactly. my that subject. It's like, well, then what the fuck are we doing a hearing? Well, for? I will say that's normal because Supreme Court justices, all they basically have to do, unless something goes really awry, right. is ride out the committee hearing yeah. because all they have to do is like not say anything super political or offend the president. So like it wasn't really unusual that she like didn't want to say anything bad about Trump, but like she took it a step further where it was like she truly didn't express an opinion about fucking anything. Like they asked her about climate change and she was just like, I don't know. I don't yeah. I don't have it. It's like you do. You have an opinion, Amy. Yeah, I get that strategy. It's just like I because I saw a lot of people kind of like talking about how like oh yeah like justices shouldn't get into what their personal beliefs are because they're only there to like decide specific cases if they're constitutional or not and it's like okay if that's your opinion if that's like your view on this whole thing why are we having a hearing what the fuck is there to ask her well i mean that's a great question uh for any supreme court committee (laughs) like why do we ever do this why are the appointments lifetime why does why is everyone like a hundred years old on the Supreme Court? Like, there's a lot of like good questions to ask about why we have a Supreme Court, why it's lifetime appointments, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really, really just I hate Dying this fine. woman at the end of this stupid fucking farce of a committee hearing four days, she gets up, she hugs a maskless Lindsey Graham. And she like thanks him. She's like, my God, you did such a good job. She said one of the best set of hearings that I've ever participated in and fucking hugged this motherfucker. And I was like, this is why the Democratic Party is hapless, a useless oppositional party. Vote this fucking dinosaur out. You bitch. You got up and you hugged Lindsey Graham. Yeah, I think, you know, what's what's so maddening about it is not even like 
it'd be one thing if it was just her making a general comment. I think you could make a very strong case that it's not even Trump that Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are the two people that have done the most damage to this country in the past, I don't know, 20 years. Yes. And, and it's, so it's not even that she got up and hugged a general Republican or, or just said nice things about the process. That would be bad enough. That would be stupid enough to just like get rid of her. Lindsey fucking Graham, like one yeah. of the worst people alive. And like, let me explain some of the anger behind what I said about Diane Feinstein. Cause I called her a bitch like a hundred times. Um, the reason I'm so mad about it is, and I know some outlets have done a very good job explaining how dangerous Amy Coney Barrett is to yeah. the, to the Supreme court and millions of people's lives. But let me just clarify a little bit. So the reason I'm so enormously um, upset and angry about this is I don't think, even though certain outlets have done a great job detailing those dangers, we have fully grappled with how devastating this is going to be. Um, they could outlaw abortion. Uh, yep. They could outlaw marriages. Um, they could endanger millions of people's lives by throwing out their health care. Um, and Amy Barrett will be the deciding vote to, to do that. And she has made it crystal clear she intends to do that. She will kill people. And to see Diane Feinstein fucking get up after the hearing and hug Lindsey Graham like, we did it. We did it, guys. You don't give a shit about people. You don't care that millions of people's lives of their lives are now in jeopardy. Right. This will be devastating and that is something that like especially people our age you and i grew up in a country where abortion ostensibly if you live in a, a liberal bluish area purplish area right is reasonably legal right. reasonably accessible if, you, if you're not very poor you know right so we take it for granted sure. but like yeah. we've never lived in a country where we don't have that freedom right and I think it's going to be a really, really horrible wake-up call for a lot of people once Amy gets in there and, and really starts to do some damage. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and these are not hypotheticals. I mean, as soon as um, when the Supreme Court came back into session right after RBG died, um, like, I, I don't even remember what the context was, but but freaking uh, Clarence Thomas and um, who was Sam Alito, I think. I don't remember. Clarence Thomas and somebody else, like, put out a like a a statement that was basically like yeah we have problems with a Burgefell and we're probably going to take a look at it <laughs> like this is not this is not hypothetical right. this is not like oh she's a conservative so these things no they've already told us that this is what they're going to do yeah. um and so yeah i think you know uh it's one of the most maddening things to me is to your point of like you know Everyone knows that when when a Supreme Court justice is put up, the Senate is votes on him. So if, if a party has control of the Senate, then they just get pushed through. That is just going to happen, right? So the whole thing was a farce to begin with. We already know the outcome of the vote beforehand. So right. there's no reason to do the hearing other than to give people a chance if they have some really truly something damning about them, they can bring it forward. But there's no real reason to do it. I mean, we know what the vote's going to be to begin with. So with that in mind, the fact that like we know the outcome of the vote, why weren't the fucking Democrats? I don't know. Don't show up. Well, like, that's the thing. And, and they're not. That's 
the whole thing. They're like, and I know you know this, so I'm not really talking to you, but I'm like talking yeah. to the idea of this. They're not a real oppositional party. Like no. we, we just spent a lot of time talking about the fact that Aaron Sorkin celebrates the system because the system right. has benefited him. Right. Diane Feinstein's the same exact case where it's like yeah. Diane Feinstein doesn't have anything to lose because right. Diane Feinstein's not going to need access to healthcare. She's not going to need access to an abortion. So for her, this whole thing was just about honoring the system's process. And Amy Coney Barrett's appearance on the Supreme Court means nothing to her. She has nothing to lose. She's right. a privileged white woman who has health care, a very good salary. She will die surrounded by her loved ones. Probably like, soon. Oh, God, I hope. Um, but like truly has nothing at risk here. So, of course, feels that she can go hug her dear, dear friend, Lindsey Graham, even though the two of them together have now guaranteed that millions of people's lives are are hanging in the balance. Um, yeah. If like, the system was... benefits you, you like the system. Right. And that's just like, I mean, I just like. The, the a Supreme Court hearing, I think, is like the biggest example because it is one of the few things where it's like we already know what's going to happen before it happens. It's th there's not it's just like it's already predetermined. And so it's like if we know what's going to happen, why are you legitimizing the process? I mean, you're, the reasons you all said are the reason, but it's just like from an outside perspective, it's like. If you already know that, like, and would look if if every Democrat just like didn't show up and like blockaded themselves outside of the, like the like Congress, would it do anything? No, but at least you would like be doing something. At least By the way, like, they they did try to do that a little bit. They uh they didn't show. There was one Democrat who showed up, I think, like on day three, and they just right. um went ahead. And he was like, "You actually, you can't do that." And they were like, "Oh, really? Because we are." So right. like, it it doesn't even matter. Like they. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't do anything. It's just like, but like, you know, it's not going to do anything to show up either. So it's like, I don't know, go, like chain yourself to the building outside. I don't like it's like none of that. Well, here's the thing. Like but, if you want those types of representatives, vote those types of representatives. Right, in. Exactly. You have vote to. out Diane Feinstein. She's a fucking dinosaur. She does nothing for anyone but herself. Get rid of these fucking old Democrats who represent that stupid triangulation centrist policy that fucked the party. You know, if, if those are the types of leaders you want, vote for those types of people. Like, it's not complicated. Right. Yeah. And I, I think there's we're starting to see more like legitimate primaries to these people, yes. which yeah. is great. Um, and there's just got to be more of them. And exactly. And I think. And also pay attention to local politics, too, because yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of that shit eventually reach. I mean, local politics matters in and of itself. But right. those are the leaders who go on to statewide positions and like get yep. at them early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. anyways, guys, that's enough of the bad. Here's your good news. Okay, I'm obviously in a very petty mood today. So keeping with that spirit of pettiness, Chris Christie was in the ICU, you guys. Um, 
with COVID, super sad. That's why I put it in the good news section. Um, the reason I'm putting it in the good news section is not to celebrate the fact that Chris Christie was in the ICU, even though it's very funny, um, because he was a dumb dumb and went to the Rose Garden ceremony and was helping Trump get ready for his debate with Biden. And nobody was wearing masks. And they were all like, we're going to live forever. And then they all fucking got covid um, and he obviously uh, has other um, health stuff. He has asthma. He's fat. So, like, he he was more um, susceptible to COVID and basically describes it as he was fine. And then he had to be rushed to the ICU. And he uh, it was very serious. It was very, very bad. Um, the reason I'm putting it in the good news section is a, a little nuanced. I think it's good that he put out this statement where he's basically like this COVID is very serious. Um, you know, he says, I believe that when I entered the white house grounds that I had entered a safe zone due to the testing that I and many others underwent every day. I was wrong. I was wrong to not wear a mask at the Amy Coney Barrett announcement. And I was wrong to not wear a mask at my multiple debate prep sessions with the president and the rest of the team. I hope that my experience shows my fellow citizens that you should follow CDC guidelines in public, no matter where you are and wear a mask to protect yourself and others. So I want to say, I'm glad he said that. I'm glad he said many times that he was wrong. He should have worn a mask. Here's the thing though. I wish conservatives were capable and willing of taking the word of scientific experts of being empathetic enough to see that over 200,000 people have died. Mm -hmm. And I wish they were able to act before they themselves have to experience being rushed to the ICU in order to believe this is a real threat. <laughs> right. But you know what the, the, the craziest fucking thing is, is that they all got it and they still aren't acting like it. Chris well, Christie's the, the only is you one. Can't, you can't just get it because my fear was when I was talking to people when, you know, Trump, uh, it, it broke that Trump had it. I mm. was like, oh, my God, they're going to give him the best medical care in the world, obviously. He's right. going to think that he's some kind of titan <laughs> that beat COVID and come out of this being like, I told you it was just a flu. And that's like exactly what happened. Yeah. So it's not enough that they get it. They have to like get it and have to like what happened to Christie be rushed to the ICU. And like, dude probably thought he was going to die at one point. Right. Um, that's the level it needs to happen at in order for that shell of denial to be fractured. You know, one of the, one of the most, one of the funniest things to me and it, and, and it got some play on Twitter, but like it really went underreported is that like Mitch McConnell basically was like, yeah, I don't go to the white house cause they're not protecting it. Oh my God. <laughs> He, he's like, yeah, I haven't gone to the White House in a month because they're not taking proper precautions for COVID. <laughs> like he said that in right. public. And everyone's like, oh, okay, weird. And it's like, no, that's a major <laughs> thing. That's a major story. <laughs> that, like, yeah, seriously. He's, of, of all people, like even Mitch McConnell's like, no, nah, I don't trust it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going because I don't trust it. It's that like, dude is so evil. I don't think we talk enough about how evil Mitch McConnell is. Oh, when I was saying earlier that... It, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are the two worst people. It's clearly Mitch McConnell. Oh, Mitch yeah. McConnell is the worst and, human and being. And guys, Lindsey Graham is extremely evil. But Mitch yeah. McConnell is like, he's like a Bond supervillain at this point. 
I'm I'm convinced that thing on his neck is like evil that is just concentrating <laughs> and pooling and it's just getting bigger and bigger and it's just like yeah like that's just like me. a physical manif- manifestation of it. It just like explodes in black bile one day and he just like <laughs> yeah. keeps talking. Right. Yeah. Um so also in good news, YouTube on Thursday became the latest social media giant to take steps to stop QAnon. The sprawling pro-Trump conspiracy theory community whose online fantasies about a cabal of satanic pedophiles running the world have spilled over into offline violence. So, yeah, again, it's good that some of these social media companies are finally taking QAnon seriously. I still don't know the most effective way to deal with it at this point because when you ban them... Um, I do think it's effective in the sense that uh, their ability to spread, obviously, is really, really hindered. So that is important. But a lot of these like true believers will just be driven offline, underground, whatever. Well, um, but I do think it's important because the reason social media conspiracy theories are so dangerous is they spread really fast. Yeah, it's tough. I was just having this conversation with somebody about all the stuff that happened with the Hunter Biden story this week. Isn't that interesting, though? Like, I was going to talk about that in the bad news section. If you guys missed it, uh, the New York Post broke this very shady story. Like, Mm -hmm. it was almost immediately clear that this was um, like a foreign intel uh, planted story. It's like if you just read it for what it is, none yes. of none of it makes sense the no. way that it's laid out, it's the way so that they're arguing. Weird. If you talk to the owner of the store who had the hard drive, he was like, "Some guy showed up. I don't know if it was Hunter Biden. I have this thing. I called Rudy Giuliani, and it was like, what? What is happening? Well, um, and like Hunter Biden doesn't live in Delaware anymore. No. So no, they're the like story. whoever whoever planted the story is like the Bidens are from Delaware, so we got to place it in Delaware. It's like he doesn't live there. Why would he take his computer to a computer store in Delaware? Yeah. Like, so what the fuck are you talking about? But yada, anyway, yada, I, yada. Everybody immediately was like, this is super shady. The yeah. FBI was like, oh, Rudy Giuliani is being manipulated by foreign <laughs> countries to plant a negative story about Hunter Biden slash Joe Biden in the media. Like, everybody knew what was up. And... Twitter at first did the right thing, which is they pulled it down, but then fucking Jack Dorsey came back and was like, we made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. But I I did, I was slightly encouraged, and tell me if I'm reading this wrong. It seemed like people were way more on that story than they were about, like, Hillary's emails in 2016. This time around, people seemed very suspect immediately and were like, whoa, 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 and tried to slow the spread of it a little more. They were. My issue is that, and this might just be, I I don't know what the actual effect of it is, so my view on it might be skewed a little bit, but this is very similar to the QAnon effect where it's like, yes, this story was obviously shady. People were immediately pointing out how shady and stupid it was and it didn't make sense, but by taking the actions to not spread it, it gave a weapon to conservatives um, to yeah, rile up their like, face. they were like, we're being censored, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and it, it, even though they weren't, I mean, I mean, Park Malloy did a great job of pointing out, like, these rules have been in place for two years already. Yeah. Like, the, n- none of this is not normal. This has happened multiple times. But that doesn't matter. 
And so it immediately became not about whether the story was shady or not. It became about the platforms blocking conservatives from posting a story because it wasn't a reputable, quote unquote, newspaper, the New York Post, whatever you think of them, like it is a major newspaper. And so it just riled up a bunch of people. And so I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't I know. honestly, I don't know what's more destructive because is the flip side of that coin. You just let the thing spread like wildfire because we've done that. And that's a fucking disaster too. Let's so not, it's like, I, I don't honestly, know. Yeah. I, I don't know the right is, answer. I do think this is the better approach. Yeah. Uh, and I know they're going to double down and I know they're going to say it's a liberal conspiracy to censor them, blah, 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 blah. To me, if that story gets shut down pretty fast and we just move on because that's how the the news cycle moves on, I know the conservatives will like harp on it a little bit, but we're like close to an election. They're going to have to fucking cover the election eventually. I think that was the right call. Yeah, it might be. I just don't. Yeah, I I think it's I don't know what the right answer is. And I I don't either. Yeah, I I personally like to see it. You know, I like to see them taking an active stance of being like, yeah, like this is bullshit and we shouldn't be letting people spread the stuff. I just the political reality of it. I'm like, I don't I don't know if we've yet to see like what the effect of it is, because we know well, we know what the effect of it was previously, which is in 2016 they didn't do anything about it. And so it obviously had this big effect. And so I think this is a big experiment to see like, okay, what do we do if we start putting, you know, disclaimers on the president's tweets or on these stories and stuff like that versus blocking them. And so they're trying to figure out in real time. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see what actually comes of it and whether it has an actual, like what has a bigger effect. Um, Because I, because it is, dangerous to let this stuff spread like QAnon. I don't think as much bandwidth that people have paid to QAnon, it's not enough. I don't think we talk enough about how insane it is, how popular this absolutely bananas theory is. Like, it is so much more insane than even it's because it, people always say like, oh, it's about like elite pedophiles. It's not even that. It no, is so much and I more think- demented than that. Like, if you ever try to explain QAnon to a boomer, like, it is, you can't emphasize enough the importance of understanding what it is. It is now also just fully evolving into, like, a religious movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really don't think people understand how dangerous it is. Like, I, I've i had to explain to boomers before, like, what QAnon is, why it's dangerous, and they are so dismissive of it, where they're just like, <laughs> Why even talk about it? It's a conspiracy theory. It's like you don't understand. Like there are so many public officials running on a QAnon platform, winning elections right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. are going to have to deal with QAnon for years. And you need to understand who they are today. You need to talk to your older relatives about it because they are the ones who are going to see fucking QAnon posts on Facebook. You need to warn them about it. You need to deprogram them before they can get deep before they can get programmed. You need to understand what this thing is because it's really dangerous. I mean, I was literally just reading like right before we started recording about like a bunch of people think that because a big part of the QAnon conspiracy is that Q is actually RFK Jr. Oh, they think they think he's about to join the Trump presidential platform on the presidential ticket and replace Mike Pence today in Dallas. Is it Dallas? I think so. Whatever Trump's rally is, the big thing now is like they're saying that today he's going to reveal himself and replace Mike Pence as VP. I can't uh, wait to see how they explain when that doesn't happen. Yeah, but it's just like, but in the, the the thing that's so dangerous about Q is that if you actually read about it and like 
like the biggest thing about Q is that they believe that Trump is like secretly arresting a bunch of very public people. And even though the people are still in the public light, they've actually been arrested and are not able to leave. And so like a bunch of politicians, even though you see them on TV, are actually arrested and are like behind the scenes, like being detained in their houses or whatever. But the thing that's so dangerous is that like this sounds insane. And then like Epstein happens. And people are like, I see, I told you there are, there's a secret cabal of pedophiles. And it's like, okay, yes, Epstein is real. Or Weinstein like, is real. or like, like the all- Catholic church. Like that's yeah, the thing. Right. Like there are these proven conspiracy or conspiracy theories of like very privileged, powerful, wealthy individuals who do get away with this shit that just like lends credibility to it's like, Yeah, like no one is saying that there aren't wealthy, privileged people who abuse um, vulnerable people, whether they're like, you know, women or children like that happens all the time. But it's just this it's taken this hard left turn where now it's like any person they disagree with politically is now part of this like satanic you know, movement of pedophiles. And that's when it gets really scary. And you have somebody show up at a pizza restaurant with a gun. Yeah. And I I mean, I just want to like highlight sort of like what you were saying earlier, which is that like, it is, it is so easy because it is such a crazy theory to be like, this is insane. You people are insane. There are, I think 20 or so people that are on elections in November that are fully not just on board are running on it are like they're fully like making a part of their platform, you know? Um, I mean, like this is how warped our politics is. Uh, Laura Loomer is going to be on a ballot in November in Florida. Like this is like, this has to be, this is not a normal, this is not Alex Jones and like gay frogs and shit like that. This has to be dealt with. Like it has to be, you can't just laugh it off. This is a real legit. I mean, it, I, it sounds insane to say it. It is a real legitimate political movement in the United States now, and it's got to be dealt with. And it's it's not enough to just go look at these crazy people. They're going to have power soon. Yeah. Um, and then finally, because we were talking about Rudy Giuliani, I got to talk about this essay that his daughter, Caroline <laughs> Giuliani, had published in Vanity Fair Um, she basically is just talking about, um, she's urging everyone to please, for the love of God, for all that is holy, vote for Joe Biden. Um, (laughs) this is not new. Her support for the Democratic Party has been going strong since 2016. She has all of these selfies. I checked out her Instagram. She's like posed with Kamala Harris. It's very funny. Um, and yeah, she... She describes herself as a filmmaker in the LGBTQ plus community who tells stories about mental health, sexuality, and other stigmatized issues. This is my favorite thing when a very conservative politician uh, births a very, very, very liberal artist. (laughs) Um, Caroline, you're doing great, girl. Um, You're doing amazing, sweetie. And I just wanted to shout her out. Yeah, it's my favorite that's like happens a lot too, especially, you know, with, with concert, old conservatives. Are you it's thinking of like, Kellyanne Conway's daughter? Yeah. yeah that seems, it's like On happening TikTok, a lot. Recently. Just dragging her mother constantly. Uh-huh. Very funny. Um, and, and I mean, it couldn't have happened to a better person than Rudy Giuliani. Just truly one of the craziest, weirdest, like 
cranks of all time. Just completely unhinged at this point. Guys, we have gone so far over, but it was worth it. We had a lot to talk about. Eric, do you have anything you want to plug or tell people about? Uh, not the moment. I'm not, I'm not doing I know, right me now. either. I've been, I've been like focusing on my actual job. And so it's not, I can't really plug that all that much. Um, so I'm not, yeah, I guess I have nothing to plug, but well, hit me up on Twitter. I'm on there basically all the time. Yes. Follow, follow Eric on Twitter, E-R-E-K underscore Smith. If you're a fan of the show, if you like today's episode, go to patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny for bonus content. Or if you're like, I'm good. I don't want bonus content. You can go to lighttreason.news, smash the donate button. Um, you didn't hear any ads on today's episode and that's because we're 100% listener supported. Um, and your money goes towards operational costs and paying people like Eric to co-host with me. So greatly appreciated. Thank you for that. If you're already a, a member, consider upgrading today. That always really helps as well. Guys, thanks so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, hashtag Light Treason Pod on Twitter is the fastest way to reach me. Also, uh, Light Treason News at Gmail is our email. And yeah, follow us on all the social media because we're addicted to social media, right? And it's ruining our brains. It's rotting our brains. Mm-hmm. Guys, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. 